welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight is a dream fulfilled. I implore you to go after your dreams because sometimes they come true. And this dream is coming true for me tonight because the person we have on our show is incredible. Here's a quick story. Back in 2008, my neighbor knocked on my door and he said, Ryan, what game were you watching on TV last night? I go, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, yeah, you whatever, you were all jumping up and down. You're excited and making all kinds of noise. So did your team win? I go, what? I was watching a game. I was watching this political debate with Dr. Ron Paul. And I discovered him and I said, this gentleman's talking about freedom and liberty. And I it got so excited. And that's who we're having on the show tonight. Dr. Ron Paul, one of my greatest heroes. It's surreal that we're going to be speaking with him. Dr. Ron Paul is the founder of the modern day liberty movement. He's a tremendous asset, not only to Americans, but to humanity because teaches the beauty and the virtue of liberty. I mean, right now, he should be on the beach drinking margaritas, but he's not. He's working almost full-time every day to continue to wake people up and letting them experience for themselves how beautiful liberty is. If you believe that you're living in a land of the free, if you're in the U.S. and you believe that you're living in a land of the free, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but you're either experiencing a tremendous amount of cognitive dissonance or you're just not paying attention. You are not living in a land of the free when 50% of your wealth goes to taxation. You are not living in a land of the free when you have to apply for a permit for every single little thing for the government, including 11-8 You are not living in a land of the free when you could be arrested and imprisoned for putting something in your own body. You're not living in a land of the free. And it's about time you realize that. Because the sooner you realize that, the sooner you can work on the solution. Founding Fathers of America saw the solution, founded a great country based on liberty. Liberty is individualism, being who you are, expressing your own talents without worrying about being infringed upon by others. It's having fruits to your, your own labor. That's liberty. And there's so much more to it. And Dr. Ron Paul several years has been pushing that message he's never changed there have been people around him that have been on that you know especially congressmen senators that have been wishy-washy changed and flip-flop dr paul has been the same person since he was when he first started very true to his heart very true to the principles of liberty let us begin this historic interview dr paul it's been 10 years since the revolution for liberty began in 2007 what aspects of this revolution are you most hopeful and most pleased about? And what aspects of this revolution do you feel need the greatest improvement? Well, the, the best part uh, of what's happened in the past 10 years is I, I believe the ideas of liberty, the libertarian message is alive and well and stronger than ever before. A lot of people don't understand what I'm talking about because they measure everything by what's coming out of Washington. But what we're seeing in Washington and on the media and even in our universities is nothing more than the end stages of a failing system. And that's why we hear 
and see so much friction among the various groups who are trying to uh, grab hold of the last piece of pie. But uh, if you step back and look at it and look at young people, it's the, it's the younger generation that I've been excited about in going to the various campuses now in the last 10 years. I realize that in spite of all the problems that the professors are creating and some of the demonstrations on campuses, on the campuses, there's a lot of individual young people who are very much aware of what was ha- what was happening. And I I remember when uh, when I uh, was speaking, I think it was in '07 uh, during the uh, presidential campaign, and we had a debate at uh, uh, in Detroit. Then I went over to uh, Ann Arbor University of Michigan, but it was the young people there that were very much aware of what was going on. Uh, not only what I was doing, but what other libertarians were doing, and they were the ones who started shouting about ending the Fed and getting very excited about everything that I've been excited about. So, and I think that's still there, and I think intellectually we're really winning the fight, and uh, in many ways uh, the opportunities are great because the system we have is, is failing, and it has to be replaced by something. The big question is, uh, are we going to be certain to replace it with something better? And I think there's a very good chance that we can, but uh, I see everything ideologically, so it is in the area of ideas I spend the most time, even though I've spent all this time in uh, in, in politics. Uh, it's, it's still in the educational field and people like you doing programs, spreading messages. That, to me, is, is what excite, is exciting. So, um, but I, I see the the greatest problem would be uh, what is apparent and what Washington is doing, what the media is doing, and the greatest uh, encouragement is what the young people are doing, but they don't get noticed as much and they don't get enough credit. But the background uh, of what they're doing and understanding is based on uh, a libertarian message by many, many intellectuals. I just spent the weekend up at the Mises Institute in New York City, and there were a lot of very, very well-educated economists there and uh, a lot of young people, and it was a reflection of what's been happening you know, not not last year or two, but uh, I helped start the Mises Institute way back in 1982, and now it's a well-known organization that has influenced a lot of people. So uh, I'm, I basically remain pretty optimistic about uh, what's happening, in spite of uh, what some of the reports are that uh, that there is no uh, libertarian revolution anymore. And Dr. Paul, just a few part question: We talked about the financial collapse of 2008 and the one that's going to be coming. And I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about the coming global financial collapse and the end of the petrodollar? How do you think America, when the world will respond, do you foresee the pain of this event being so great that it will likely force people to either rediscover liberty, founding principles of liberty, or instead drive them in lightning speed into the arms of tyranny? And also, do you think America will still be respected on the world stage and will remain under one centralized government? Well, that is a big question. Um, I, I believe that the financial situation of uh, the United States and the world is much, much worse than it was in 2008 and 2009. So uh, this whole idea that you can create trillions and trillions of dollars and just bail out all the mistakes uh, is not a solution. And even though you see some positive signs 
that the government reports uh, right now on the financial markets are doing well is everything is based on debt, and much of it is malinvestment. That means the investments went in, in the wrong direction uh, because the truth is is the middle class is getting wiped out, and there's a lot of anger out there, and the pension funds are all broke, and, you know, th- that's why it's going to be uh, a real catastrophe when this comes uh, unglued, and it, and it will um, and that uh, is something we don't know when it will come, but you cannot get prosperity by just creating monetary units. Uh, and that means that we're in a big bubble. The bubble for me is uh, with the dollar uh, as well as the bonds and the debt. And uh, this, is, uh, uh, this will be corrected. And most, no, not most, all the time when a country gets beyond its means of uh, – Paying for debt, they liquidate debts, and we're well past that. You know, twenty trillion dollars, and it could be thirty trillion dollars in a short period of time. The debt has to be liquidated in order to get real growth again, and that's what the biggest mistake was in in '09. Is uh, the debt was propped up and more debt was added, uh, so that was a, a greater burden. But uh, there's only two ways you can liquidate debt. Uh, one is uh, if you're an individual and you have too much debt and the bank won't loan you any more money, you have to, uh, you know, downsize uh, your living standard, save some money and work harder and get another job and pay your debt down. Uh, a lot of people can't do that. and They declare bankruptcy and they don't pay the bills. But a government is um, is different. They uh, they don't downsize. Uh, you can't solve the problems of uh, Puerto Rico by saying cut back on uh, on government benefits. I mean they they don't even function anymore. So you can't. Governments will not downsize. But the debt burden is going to continue to increase. But the debt has to be liquidated. Uh, governments try very hard to liquidate debt in a a painless fashion, and that is just by inflating. So if you can lower the value of the dollar and increase uh, the prices up by going up by 50% or 100%, then the debt goes down in real terms. So uh, uh, this is uh, one way of liquidating debt, and that's what they'll continue to do. And eventually that's the way the debt will be liquidated. There will be um, runaway inflation, the interest rates will go up, and then the whole thing falls down, and nobody can pay anything. Unless, and then the big question is, is what will come of this? And that is why studying economics, understanding Austrian economics, understanding the Federal Reserve is so crucial, because the answer is found there, and it's not even very that that complicated. Uh, you just have to have a different attitude about government. Government should be there to protect liberty and not to run our lives and not to police the world and and uh, not to plan uh, the economy and not to have paper money and have. Money. The founders understood this. They went through a crisis with the continental dollar, and that's why they said only gold and silver should be legal tender. So the answer is, is not all that complex. It's been known for a long time, but there's a better understanding now about Austrian economics than ever before, the understanding of monetary policy and uh, being able to refute all the bad ideas of socialism. Uh, of course, uh, the first uh, major proof of 
what I'm saying saying occurred in, in 1989 and 1990 when the Soviet style of uh, economic planning totally failed. Communism was just refuted, and now we have uh, and, and now we have another system coming coming apart. But the big question is: Are we going to invite just uh, a dictator come in and take over, which would be very dangerous? I'm I'm voting for and believe that it can be replaced by common sense, and that is, uh, yeah, we want to be a free country, and and this is why when I talk to large number of young people, when they understand the moral principles of liberty, being being left alone, being able to keep what you earn, being able to do what you want, as so long as you don't hurt people, very very appealing, especially if uh, you can emphasize the the prosperity that comes with it and the rejection of war, and we. Uh, we need to reject the war if we want to solve this problem because we've been in perpetual war since World War II and none of, none of the wars have been declared. And we've been, of course, in the Middle East now for about 17 years just in Afghanistan. It's, just, it's getting, it's ridiculous. All that would change, but I think, uh, if the people and the coming generation understands this, the government will reflect the people's attitudes. Uh, up until now, uh, most people thought, well, There'll be perpetual wealth, and all we have to do is not so much work, but we'll just get a good lobbyist and uh, compliant politicians, and and they'll pay for our school and our education and our food, and and we can be the policemen of the world, and we can print the money because we have the reserve of currency. That's ending, but the uh, tenets of uh, liberty are well understood, and they're available, and our job, if anybody's interested, has to be the spreading of this message, and, and that's what I feel like we all should be obligated to do. Dr. Paul, talking about the Founding Fathers, Thomas Jefferson penned the phrase, all men are created equal. And yet in the early era of American history, there was slavery. Women couldn't vote. American Indians were being slaughtered. I was wondering if you think there are some aspects of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that are brilliant ideas but theoretically speaking, had never been fully put into practice. And also, do you think that true liberty, true defined liberty, has yet to be fully embraced and experienced, not only by America, but by people all throughout the world? No, it's it's never been. It's uh, it's it's an idea uh, that we should strive for, but uh, total authoritarianism uh, has been tested. The Soviets had one of the worst system of authoritarianism, uh, controlling people's lives and the economy, and and having an empire. It was a total failure. So if you have uh, a pure thought about what uh, a true libertarian society would be all about, I think we have to have a goal. Uh, because if you say, no, that's impossible, so why don't we just take with the uh, authoritarians, the socialists, and, and uh, the communists and just mellow it down? Well, that's, what, that's already been tested. That's why we had interventionism and a planned economy and wise politicians. But it's it's uh, not uh, it's not much better because it gets out of control. And Mises in Human Action talks about this, and he says what's going to happen with interventionism in this planned economy is that it will morph into something closer to fascism. He didn't say the old you know the communism and old-fashioned socialism. It would be a fascist state, and that's what we see. Everything is a combination of big corporations and government. So that is why. 
the, the job for us is to distinguish between corporations who are successful by by being honest and upright and providing products and services versus the corporations that are powerful because they are involved in the military industrial complex or in the uh, in the media complex the medical complex that's all corporatism so uh, that has to be understood uh because that is um, <clears throat> that that is what has to be replaced but it it all comes down to you know the principles of liberty non-intervention living up to our promises and our contracts and uh it, and nobody can harm another person and uh it, it's it's not that complex it's just that people have lost confidence that that's the way to prosperity they thought redistribution of wealth and force which was a consequence of a fair amount of prosperity that, you know, the amount of freedom we had provided. But people lost, uh, you know, an understanding of where uh, where the prosperity comes from, who does the producing. They concentrated on forced redistribution. So we have to – the whole thing is the message has to be not so much as this is wonderful and moral and sounds, you know, sounds just great. Uh, the people who have will go have to go along have to be convinced it's in their best interest to do this and if we continue this they're not going to have prosperity and they're not going to have peace and that the uh, that the uh, best way to do is to advance i think i think that freedom has been up and down for hundreds of years uh, but we need to advance to another stage where we're much more libertarian and we we understand uh exactly what's happening and uh so i'm optimistic that we can advance that stage because we have proven so many things to to go wrong whether it's communism or socialism or welfareism or central banking or or uh, any type of empire uh so uh, i think the field is very fertile for us moving ahead and being progressive but it would be far from a perfect society but it would be the best society ever because man is imperfect and uh, things aren't going to go quite as well but i think you have to have an ideal to strive for if you don't have that uh, i think you start off conceding way too much dr paul who are some of your greatest teachers the people that challenged you to challenge yourself and become a better person well, the one that comes to mind first, there have, of course, been a lot, and a lot of them have been in economics, uh, and I met a lot of the great econ- uh, economists like uh, Mises and uh, Rothbard and Sennholtz and many others. But there was an individual that uh, probably had a greater influence with me, but he was, a, uh, he was an educator out of the education system. He was not in the university, and that was Leonard Reed with the Foundation for Economic Education, and I see him as part of a, of a special group uh, uh, that can be referred to as a remnant. Uh, he, after World War II, he started the Fee Foundation, Foundation for Economic Education, and it was dedicated to exactly what I've been talking about. But he he had a lot of sound advice on how to do this. He he really didn't like uh, politics. He thought poli- the, the political system would be a reflection of people's understanding. I agree with that. But I did uh, you know get involved in politics. And interestingly enough, he's not living now. But when he was, he recognized that there was a difference, and and uh, he was not critical of what I was doing. But he he wanted to make the point that just uh, just having another politician go to Washington, unless he's dedicated education it doesn't mean anything that's not where the that's not where the correctional come 
has to come from, uh, you, you know, uh, an ideological uh, perspective. People have to change their minds and they have to uh, understand. But Leonard Reed would be the top of the list because his approach was so different. Uh, it was educational. It was not uh, slanted politically. And his uh, his understanding was uh, very clear cut. And uh, but it, it but it was his tone that I liked. It was not uh, not uh, like. I know what's right. So if I come up, if I think I know what's right, I come up to you and grab you and say, "Hey, look, you're stupid." You know, this is why you have to believe that that turns people off. And of course, I work at that all the time. But human temptation is sometimes to get a little bit frustrated. But I tried to follow that rule in Washington. I tried to stay away from, you know, ever bringing the subject of Republicans or Democrats or political names on the House floor, but they did it all the time. Why did the president do this and that? But uh, I always tried to stick to the issue of, uh, you know, the moral principle of liberty. And uh, and, and it, it, it didn't get me a, a slot as a chairman of a committee, but I hope I left an impression on uh, a different kind of a system. Yeah, probably the most honest politician anyone's ever come across in the history is going to say honest <laughs> politicians. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Dr. Paul, in 2008, I'll never forget um, I think it was when the like 2007, 2008 birth of the Tea Party, and I was in New York, and I'll never forget, I heard that New Kingers was going to be speaking at one of these events, and as soon as I saw him speaking, I was like, it's done. They've co-opted it. And I'm wondering, do you think that there's ever a point that the cultural and political system could be so corrupt that it might just be better to walk away from it to form a new system rather than trying to change it if the odds are perpetually against you? Because it seems that the people who are controlling it, they seem to know all the cards, they seem to make all the changes. And is it worthwhile to try to vote, or is it worthwhile working on becoming independent, self-sufficient, away from the system? Well, I don't think there's a crisp answer to that because I, I don't think much of politicians, political parties, or what's going on in Washington. Yet I've been involved. <laughs> you know, I was sent there by votes, and I always figured that uh, I, w- I was actually testing things because I was never going to make the promises, and then I was going to vote exactly the like I said, and to see if I could get reelected. And I really didn't expect to, so uh, that was beneficial. But uh, I I don't I don't know what you mean by walking away. What's wrong your ascent? I mean, just you know, you talk a lot about gold and silver. Maybe you know, pulling out of the banks, putting your money into gold and silver, um, not partaking in national elections because we just yeah. had a big election. And you know, Trump ran on this campaign of non-intervention. He had all these promises, and then what? Six months into it, he completely went in, in line with all the other presidents, what they did. Yeah, yeah. I, I, people ask, would would that be sound? I said, yeah, if you're on the right track and you understand economics. I I don't think you have to endorse what's happening. Uh, but uh, sometimes people walking away is almost like uh, you have to destroy what is there. Intellectually, I, I believe we have to destroy what is there and refute what, uh, what they do. But uh, if you understand the system, I think people will naturally want to um, – you know, try to survive, and survival means uh, taking care of yourself. Because even though I'm optimistic, the <laughs> the interim, uh, the transition can be really, really rough. You know, <laughs> and I think that's what's what we're witnessing now. This uh, tremendous 
anger, uh, you know, between the different factions. At the same time, the deep state's still in charge, and the Republican and Democratic leadership still keeps printing money and spending, and they run out of it. But that's that's going to end. But I think people should be prepared. But my preparation is not only having gold and silver and a place to live and, you know, survival type of, uh, of things. Um, I think that uh, that uh, – uh, that, that the the ultimate goal and responsible we have is to spread the message, and it doesn't have to be sacrificial. People say, "Boy, you've sacrificed a lot of time." I don't know. First thing is, I enjoy doing it. I think it's important. I do it for my own self. That uh, I want to live in a freer country, and I want my family to have it. I want people to have it. So uh, I, I think that that is the most important investment you i do meet people that will invest millions and millions of dollars to buy influence in washington and very uh, it's much more difficult to get people to invest in educational activities and even my own experience uh the spontaneity of raising money in my political campaigns was much easier than trying to keep my my uh, uh activities and some of my programs going right now uh, because uh, it just doesn't seem to have as much glamour. Uh, but, uh, no, I, I think people should be prepared. And, uh, and a lot of times when I'm asked, what, do you, what should they do to do that? And I said, do, do whatever you want to do. Everybody has a different tool and a technique. But to me, the most important thing is understanding the message, self-education, and, take in, and figure out some way you can spread the message. Everybody who understands this has a special responsibility uh, to do this. And it might only be one-on-one. It might only be with your Facebook list. You don't know. It might be in where you work. Uh, it may be in a church or whatnot. But, but the whole thing is to uh, spread, spread the message and um, try to convert somebody. Dr. Paul, in America, many people say that they love the troops. And yet many of them are not even aware of the very freedoms that these troops are allegedly dying to defend. Do you think that it's disrespectful in any way? Do you think it's disrespectful that people say they love the troops, yet not know the very laws and the rights that they're fighting to protect, and the fact that maybe they're not making such a grand effort to pull these troops out of harm's way? Because do you think if you truly love people, you do anything you can to protect them and to know what they're fighting for? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, when it comes up a lot of times, because I will say, you know, I've been on the receiving end because I'm against the war. I bring them all home and quit all this military spending. And then uh, at, the, at the debates, you know, there would be booing and hissing and, and you know, the super patriots say, well, you're weak on defense, you're un-American, this sort of thing. But then somebody would add, yeah, but didn't you get more money from the military personnel than any of the other candidates? And I said, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because that always made me feel good because it wasn't a losing battle. But patriotism is a powerful weapon. I think these people are superficial and at times ignorant and they don't understand. And they, it, the most disgusting thing after 9-11 was uh, Bush set the standard immediately. They come here to kill us because uh, they don't like our freedoms and, and they don't like our prosperity and uh, and, and they, they come for these vicious reasons. At, at, at the same time, uh, they never really ask about the motivation. You know, what motivated them? And that's what I talked about. They motivated, and I very simply said, they come here because we're over there killing them. But just thinking now of all the activity going on in the news today about uh, the uh, shooting in Las Vegas, 
And they've spent every day since then, we're looking for the motivation. We're looking for the motivation. And and maybe they haven't figured it out, but they care about the motivation. And back when 9-11 occurred, I said, that's the first thing the police ask for. What is the motivation? We have to look for a suspect. What's the motivation? Who would want to do this? And yet today they're looking for the motivation, but they absolutely rejected looking for the true motivation for, for 9-11. And if you told the truth about it, you know, the establishment didn't like it. But it takes a while sometimes for truth to win out. So uh, I still argue the case that's the best you can do. Do you think that if Americans had been living in an era, uh, the early Americans, uh, you know, cell phones right before the revolution, that they'd be too distracted to participate in the revolution? <laughs> Who knows? Well, they had a lot of petitions. They had a lot of petitions, and they put the petitions out. They probably were reading more carefully. But, uh, no, I think the um, the cell phone is interesting. I, th- I think more of what what it would be like uh, with and without the Internet. Uh, and that's where there's a lot of confusion, a lot of misinformation. But uh, what I do with my activities now, with my internet programming i depend on the internet and yet i do know that uh, we're we find that it's that uh some, some of the the uh, social media networks are biased against us you know and they're allies with the government they turn over all this information to government it's uh it's it's it's, it's to me pretty sad because i think it's a great instrument of reaching people at the same time it's also used against us yeah, the fourth amendment doesn't seem to apply these days i don't know why yeah that's true that's for sure. It doesn't apply to the government. No, they seem that they have difference in the Senate. In 2012, I'll not forget, at one of the Republican debates, when answering a question about U.S. foreign policy, you said, we should follow the golden rule, treat others as we would, tr- would like to be treated. And there was some loud booing in the crowd, and they did a zoom in on your face, and you, were just, you had this look of just shock. I was wondering what was going through your mind at that time when you heard booing, that they were actually booing the golden rule. Well, I guess I took it in stride. I didn't all of a sudden get you know, annoyed and didn't go yelling and screaming how disgraceful you you are. Uh, but it it, uh, it it was a reflection of something I, I think I understood because the Christian right, and I put myself, uh, you know, in the category of a, a Christian believer and then the golden rule, you know, but I had already been, uh, you know, ignored because of that. Uh, early on, and I guess it was in 07, there was a, uh, uh, it was a first uh, debate. It wasn't a huge debate, but it was a significant debate that I wanted to be in, and everybody else was invited, but I was not invited and it was being held by the the Christian community and also a tax community, a taxing group and i thought this couldn't be no nobody else more opposed to taxation uh, than myself. At the same time, uh, I thought I qualified, or I didn't get disqualified for not being able to attend, uh, you know, this Christian group. Uh, but but anyway, they kept me out. But it is true. Uh, there's a militancy. But I guess when I reflect, that probably, as time went on, that was probably one of my biggest disappointment how strong the resistance was uh you know uh, from from the uh, christian groups and disappointed in that it uh, sort of uh, was a challenge to what i thought christianity was all about and dr paul for a final question i just want to say that on behalf of the millions of people whose lives you've touched and transformed i just want you to know how thankful we all are for your great contributions uh, for your tireless continued work thank you so much and the thought of you 
not being us one day is um, is one that you know, brings a lot of great sadness. And if that day ever does come, and you, um, how can we honor your legacy? How would you prefer us to act and honor your memory when pushing for the cause of liberty? Study the principles of liberty and understand why that's the basic moral principle of civilization and promote it. And it's based on tolerance, you know, uh, and, and, and tolerance and honesty. So I, I, I think just uh, promoting the cause of liberty is has been my goal, and I think that, uh, as we have already talked in this program, that should be the goal of all individuals. I also believe that uh, those of of us who have finally come around to believing it without being arrogant about it, that we have a greater moral responsibility, and this would include people like you and your audience, that I'm sure they have a much better understanding than the average person on the street. So I put a little bit of a pressure on them uh, in a polite way of saying, you know, you understand it, and uh, your ideas are very valuable, so you should uh, you should participate in spreading that message the best way you can. Dr. Ron Paul, it is such a great honor uh, to have you with us today. Sir, I want to bring to your attention that you are uh, one of my heroes, and to speak with you at this time is a, is a fulfilling of a dream. It's just amazing. And I want to let everyone know that Dr. Paul is author of several books. One of them is called The Revolution of Ten Years. Another one is called Liberty Defined. Another one is a fantastic book, which I love reading, called Swords into Plowshares. But you can learn more about him by going to the Ron Paul Institute website. Dr. Paul, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, and keep up the good work. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our incredible guest and again, one of my greatest heroes, Dr. Ron Paul. Special thanks to Daniel McAdams and Chris Rosani. Special thanks, as always, to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show Virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Kaza, and Ms. Constance Dallas. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website, at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Taking care. Thank you so much for listening. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com.